Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Dante Cavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record. 9.68, the wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another interview, an amazing interview I have for you today. Four-time Australian Olympic race walker, Jane Savile, a legend of the sport in Australia and somebody who, of course, pretty much everybody out there remembers with a certain moment at the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games, only metres away from becoming an Olympic gold medalist, tragically disqualified as she was entering into the stadium. Everybody remembers that moment as a defining image of the Sydney Olympics. But outside of that one moment, as you're going to learn in this great chat, it's it's far more than just one simple disqualification in her career. Went on to win a bronze medal at the Athens Olympic in the 20-kilometre race walk. A four-time Olympian, as I said, started back in Atlanta, went all the way through to Beijing. Three-time Commonwealth Games gold medalist, including carrying the flag into the MCG as Australia's flag bearer during the 2006 Commonwealth Games. An amazing career, which, as I just mentioned, often defined by one moment, and there's a whole lot more to Jane's incredible career than just one simple moment. And we discuss that with Jane, whether or not it's frustrating or not that her entire career is really defined by what happened in Sydney versus all the incredible successes that she had around it a fascinating chat here one that i know you are going to enjoy so sit back relax and listen to our chat with australian four-time olympic race walker jane saddle so excited to have our next guest here on off the podium today she is a four-time Olympian, an Olympic bronze medalist, a three-times Commonwealth Games gold medalist. And when you think of race walking in Australia, one of the utter, utter legends of the sport, I do, of course, speak of the one, the only, Miss Jane Savile. Jane, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Thanks for having me on, Ben. It's so exciting because I I will say this. I I was saving this till I was on air. We... um, about a couple of years ago here and off the podium, we ran a series of, of interviews that I had done on a former radio show of mine a, a decade or so ago in Hobart that we spoke to a bunch of Olympians and all that sort of stuff back in the day. You were one of the people that I interviewed. I think it was about 2009 uh, that it was in my sort of very young radio days. Um, oh, wow. So you sort of been on this show before in a weird way, but that was that was dumb Ben asking stupid questions. I've grown up now, I think. So um, <laughs> We've all just, grown up, so yes. Yeah. We've all matured. <laughs> I, I'd like to think so. I'd hope so. But um, the standout for that interview, actually, it was funny. So we, we used to have a campaign back then about getting Hobart the Olympics in 2020. Of course, 2009, 2020 seems so far away. And we basically, I think, went on a, a tangent asking you to come back out of retirement to 
compete in 2020. And you were like, sure, if you can guarantee me the gold medal, I'll only be, what, 45 <laughs> by then? So um, did, how'd that go? Did, did that happen? Um, we couldn't quite give you the gold medal, unfortunately. We didn't get the game, sadly, Jane. Well, no, and I, it's probably a good thing. Although everyone would have loved to have gone to Tasmania. It's, you know, a COVID-free zone. Yep. So, um, yeah, but uh, I think... Uh, all the cities that were bidding at that time for that one are quite happy that they didn't get it, and uh, my yes. body wouldn't wouldn't have made it to twenty twenty. I can tell you that now. <laughs> <laughs> just just needed to get sort of that long winded uh, you know response to that question from you know twelve years ago to see how that <laughs> that went, but. I mean, as I just sort of mentioned in the introduction, I mean, I think of race walkers in this country, your name automatically comes up. It's just, you know, such an amazing, amazing career. And we, we always love speaking to race walkers on this show because it's such a unique and fascinating sport, Jane. It's just, it's one of these sports that just is weirdly entertaining that you forget <laughs> until you watch the Olympics. Like, hey, I love this sport. Olympics, why don't we, yeah. <laughs> why don't we do more of it? I mean, how, how do you get involved in, in race walking? How is this something that kind of set your career on the path that it did? Well, I think like a lot of kids in Australia and a lot of kids in the, the Australian athletics team, they started in, in little athletics when they were younger. And um, that's just how I started and participating in all the events. And I was better at the distance events and the race walking. Um, and, yeah, when you win medals at certain in certain things, you always like to, to continue in that sort of <laughs> event. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just stuck with it. I was always better at it. But I didn't focus on race walking until I was a lot older. Um, as my only sport, I swam competitively. I did surf lifesaving. Um, and then when I was 21, um, I had the opportunity to, to try to train and focus completely on race walking and try and make the Olympics in 1996. And so um, I thought, well, you know, that's, that'd be an amazing thing to do. And so I really trained hard and focused solely on, on race walking as my sport. And um, yeah, I made that team. So um, no did. medals and no, yeah, no, no great placings, but it was an, a, a truly amazing experience and sort of fed that hunger that this is what I want to do. And and I met some amazing people and was part of, you know, the, the Australian team, the village and all that sort of thing. It keeps you motivated for, for the next four years. And um, I really wanted to do better and, and improve on my placings and things like that. So it sort of lit the fire in me that, yes, this is what I want to do. Was it always an ambition to go to an Olympics? Was this something sort of growing up in a lot of the sports you were doing that kind of it was a, it was a driver to, to represent Australia in some sport at the Olympic Games? Yeah, look, I think as a kid, being a really active kid, and, and I was very fortunate that my parents took my sister and I, my sister who's four years younger than me, to, to every sport possible that we wanted to play. Um, and if we didn't like it, we'd stop. You know, there was one time I was in the car and I was crying and my mum said, what, what do you, what, what's wrong? And she, I said, I don't want to do that dancing anymore. And she said, fine, one off the list, we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> and so I, I remember seeing the Olympics in, in Moscow and watching uh, Michelle Ford win a gold medal. And I thought, wow that's pretty cool. And, um, but you know, as a kid, uh, there's, there's these dreams that you have, but you, you, <laughs> you don't really understand how you get to those dreams and how much tough and, and hard work it is and, and physically and emotionally to, to be an elite athlete. So yeah, sure. I had dreams. I'd, I would have loved to have been a swimmer, but I just didn't have that, that talent. I love swimming. Um, and, and as I said, I love sports. So you have that dream. And I think lots of kids in Australia, we grow up playing sport. Everyone, you know, plays sport at some stage. And it's sort of in our culture um, to, to, to do sport, participate. And I think, you know, even living in Spain now, I see the culture, it's a very different culture. And, and being a woman, and uh, it's a different culture as well. They're sort of, 
maturing late uh, with getting women into sport. Uh, you know, we had women that, uh, winning gold medals at the Olympics, you know, 100 years ago. So uh, it wasn't something different for me to see a woman on the podium at the Olympic Games or having role models or my, my favourite athlete when I was younger, even though she, she was way past, it was uh, Dawn Fraser and, mm. you know, winning all those gold medals. And I, I remember watching the movie Dawn over and over again, thinking, wow, she's an amazing person. And I never really thought that she was the role model, but she was, you know, I never thought in those terms, but now as an adult, I look back and think, you know, I had these role models in different sports and growing up in race walking, I had Kerry Saxby, who was a trailblazer in, in, in our, in our event. So uh, there were these people that had done it. And, and, and so, you know, it wasn't sort of a far-fetched dream. It was something that you could, could achieve. I, I think I never thought you've got these dreams as kids and yeah, I'd love to do that. And there's people that have done it. So you can see that it's achievable. Well, I was going to ask about, the race walking scene in Australia at that point, obviously you mentioned Kerry there, obviously sort of everything that she was yeah. achieving around about that point. But, I mean, what was it generally like, you know, how was race walking perceived when you sort of got into it? I mean, it's obviously it's much different today with the success that we've had in the sport over the last 20 years. But prior to that, I believe we'd only won one Olympic medal and it had been a, a long time in between drinks. So kind of how yeah. was it at that period? Um, yeah, look, it was... There were still lots of people doing it and and participating, but there wasn't there weren't the champions there. And and obviously, as as I said, I mentioned Kerry. She was during my teenage years. She was breaking world records nearly every time she stepped on the track. And there were times there that I was part of the race, and and I was excited just to get lapped once on the track by her, you know. Um, and so. There was a really great group during um, my teenage years that trained down at the AIS in Canberra under under Craig Hilliard. And Kerry Saxby was one of them. Nick Ahern was one of them. Simon Baker was one of them. And they had a really great training group and they had a perfect uh, uh, environment to be an elite athlete in Canberra. The AIS uh, back then was, was an amazing uh, institution and it really was a help to Australian elite athletes. So, um, you know, it, it, it certainly was growing and especially for, for young kids like me, I could see Kerry Saxby and all these people were coming to, to athletics meets to watch Kerry Saxby break a world record. And she was really the, the name for, for athletics back then and bringing people in, in the gates. So, you know, it was a pretty exciting time. And that led to her, you know, obviously she had the world records and she, she'd won medals at world indoors and things like that. So, um, you know, it really put us on the map as far as Australian terms had gone. And, 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 and we had that group coming through. So, you know, it's it sort of built, a, it was a great building block for, for the future for a young kid like me. And how was she in terms of, you know, when you could, could you talk to her? Could you get some advice from her? Was she sort of that type of person to kind of lean on Absolutely. a lot? Yeah. Look, Kerry, amazing athlete, just, and so laid back, so down to earth, really, really typically Australian. And I remember an interview she did, it was at the, I think the World Indoors in Budapest and Bruce McAvaney was saying, said to her, Kerry, do you get nervous? And she turned to him and she said, oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> and in really Australian accent and we were all laughing. That's just Kerry. You know, she was so natural and so typically Australian and you could relate to her and, um, you know, uh, 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 she was a great role model but also in the end we, we trained together for a number of years and she was sort of coming towards the end of her career. And, and I sort of, we were talking, I was talking to my sister about her the other day and we just, we said she was an amazing athlete. It, it's sort of a shame that she 
didn't come later on. She was a pioneer because she 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 could have done so much more had race walking been in the Olympics earlier and things like that, that it, it had fully grown as a sport. And, um, you know, she, she did very well and uh, as, a, as a young kid coming through to follow literally in her footsteps, um, you know, it, I, I was, I was, it was certainly an honour. And she, she drove us all to, to be better and you could see that we could be the best in the world and to step on the starting line against her but also as part of the team, in a, an Australian team, was certainly an honour. When you first got involved, I believe that sort of the, the distance for women was 10 kilometres, not 20 yep. kilometres, obviously included in, in 92 for the first time at the Olympics in Atlanta as, as 10 kilometres. What is, besides the fact that 20 kilometres is 10 kilometres longer, mm. when it comes to sort of, you know, training for a 10 and a 20K, I mean, is there much of a difference? And what was it that kind of increased it to the 20K where the competitors against a shorter distance wanted a longer distance? I mean, kind of what was the driving fact for it being doubled in distance? Uh, I, I have no idea, to be honest. Um, I just, I remember being training, I was at the Institute at the time training at the Institute of Sport in Canberra and we're in the gym and, and uh, one of the coaches said, oh, they're going to change it to 20 kilometres. And I was only young. I think I was down there for a camp or something. I wasn't actually living there at the time. And I said, are you kidding me? I'll quit. There's no way I want to race 20 kilometres. It's ridiculous. And so at that time as a junior, I only had to race five kilometres. So wow. an under 20 athlete only had to do five kilometres, which was, you know, for me, it's still a long way to train for, um, you know, it's, it's a 25-minute race or 23-minute race. So... I think it was more the officials trying to make it even with the men and the women because the men raced 20 kilometres and 50 kilometres, which, which I understand in a way, but I don't think it actually helped race walking in the long run because um, you, you have to do so much more training for 20 kilometres as opposed to 10 kilometres. And it's not, uh, unfortunately, it's not a sport that you can earn a lot of money. So a lot of athletes, more, more especially so in Australia, maybe not, for example, the Italians, they, they, they have their sports club or the police force or the army and they get paid to be athletes, a lot of them, whereas we don't have that in Australia. So, you know, a lot of the time you, you're working to support yourself. I was lucky for a few years I had the Australian Institute of Sport and we've got uh, local academies of sport and things like that but you know when you're trying to to live and and you know how expensive australia is you're trying yeah. to live and train and be an elite athlete if they double your distance that's a lot more hours of training that you have to do and commit to that so um i, I understand in a way technically for the technique that the women were getting really fast at 10 kilometers and it's very difficult to judge when they go go, go so fast so i think there was a number of factors in there but in the long run, I'm not sure if it, it's helped uh, the event develop. And it, because as the juniors now, as a junior athlete, the juniors have to do 10,000 10, metres on the track, 10 kilometres. And I can tell you now, if I had to do that, I doubt that I would have survived the teenage years doing it because um, it's a long way to train for. And, and I don't think it's conducive to developing athletes, keeping athletes in the sport of athletics or in the event of race walking. Because I can imagine too, and we've talked to several athletes about this, you know, similar to say a marathon runner where you kind of, you're not running a marathon every week. You're going to peak your body to perform in a certain event. And when you increase that distance, as you're saying with that training, while you might be able to do a certain amount of 10Ks in a year versus a 20K a year, it changes that completely. So I can imagine that too is a, is a difficult thing to get your body into peak form ahead of say a Commonwealth Games or an Olympic Games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got these set times where you want to you want to peak, and you can only do that certain times of the year, and and, and a maximum number of times in the year. So you've got to plan for that, and and you want to do it around the big competitions where where you know the the the, the accolades are higher. Um, so yeah, it certainly makes it difficult. 
Um, and, and, you know, we, we compared to a marathon runner, but the good thing about a marathon runner is most of them don't go from junior straight to a marathon running career. They, they start, they get into the longer distance, start doing 10 Ks and things like that. And then they, they step up later on to a marathon. So they've got that base building. Whereas in, in race walking, you sort of can't really, you don't have that base where you can just focus on the shorter distances for a while. You, you've got to step up almost straight away. So going from a junior, you started an under 20 athlete, you, you're training for 10 kilometers, which is a long way for a junior and then the next year you've got to step up and do a 20 kilometers as an open athlete so in europe they have under 23 championships but even so they're still 20 kilometers i think so um it's still it's still difficult you know and it's hard on your body uh any sport at the elite level is difficult on your body but something that's so can it's um so many hours on on walking it's it's much better for you than running but because it's not such high impact but you've still got that wear and tear on your body is it a sport when it comes to training, say you're, you're going out and doing a 10K, given that the majority of races you're on the streets, you're not really going around 10Ks around a track, is it better to train and just walk on roads and do that rather than going to your local track and just doing the, the 10K around that because it's, it's better, that's the technique, that's what you're doing in competitions? Um, I think just going around the track and doing a 10K is like 25 laps around the track. One thing, it's boring as well. <laughs> um, but it's not good for your body to, to keep going round and round and round, sort of you, you seem to lean. And and, and so it's it, physically it's not good for your body. Mentally it's not good for you either to, to do that. And I, I towards the end of my career, I very rarely touched the track, you know, and even, yeah, most of it was done on the roads. Even if I did short repetitions, 400 repetitions, a lot of it was on the road. I didn't particularly enjoy the track that much. Um, sometimes I'd do it for a break of, of, of scenery, just a change of scenery. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, if you can get out on the road, the other thing is if you've got a safe neighbourhood or a safe environment to train. Um, you know, that was when I was in Europe a lot of the time I was training by myself, so I always had to, a lot of the time it was on roads. I, I found a bike path here that was, you know, seven kilometres long, but if you're by yourself, you've got to carry your drinks and things like that. So, you know, you've got to find a safe environment that you, you're not going to get hit by cars and you could, so I know some athletes in certain countries that they don't have safe environments so they do a lot of their training on the track so you can you can sort of you can do your laps around the track and then go the opposite way and do different things like that but it's still it's still a lot of pressure on your body on the track and, and yeah I just found it really really monotonous. You mentioned about sort of getting that chance to say somebody says to you hey you could go towards an, an Olympic Games you know uh, Atlanta the, the goal there around obviously 93 Sydney gets the Olympics, of course. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Mention a certain thing that happened at Sydney, Jane. I'm sure you were expecting <laughs> that. Uh, but do you, do you remember sort of that moment when Australia, when Sydney got the Olympics and was that sort of around when you had, had been told that, hey, Atlanta's a possibility and did that then spur you on to think, hey, well, you know, goes goes well in Atlanta that I could go on to compete in a home Olympics in seven years' time? Yeah, for sure. Look, um, I remember Sydney when they announced it, there was a big party actually out at the, the Homebush at the site that, that I think it was like three o'clock in the morning, they did the announcement. It was Sydney time. And I had a scholarship, MLC back then, which I think now is Lend-Lease, they gave out sports scholarships for young up and coming athletes. So I received a scholarship for a number of years. And they had a big party because Lend-Lease was part of the, the um, one of the companies that was building some of the, the infrastructure out there. So they had a big party that night to, for, for the announcement on the site of the, the, uh, the stadium. So I drove out there, I think it was about one o'clock in the morning for this big party and it was announced and, you know, every, it was like everyone was on a high. It was amazing. It was a really 
just, you know, something you could never experience. Everyone was just so excited that we had the Olympic Games. And so obviously, yeah, it was there. But I also by that stage wasn't sure I wanted to go to the Olympics, but I, you know, I was still young. I was only, I think, 18, 19 at the time. So um, and I was starting to realise this is pretty tough to do it and, and a lot of sacrifices needed to be made and I wasn't really mature enough to say, yes, that's my goal. Sure, it was all easy to say, yeah, I'd love to go to the Olympics, but the reality of it is a different thing. So, um, yeah, I had that at the back of my mind but still wasn't fully committed then that that's exactly what I wanted to do. To, to age myself, I was six when it was announced. I, yeah. I remember going into the lounge room as a little boy and like seeing the Today Show or whatever it was and they were all celebrating and I think I remember turning to my parents like, what's this, Mum? Like, what's this, Dad? Because yeah. I had watched a bit of Barcelona. It's the first Olympics I ever remember watching but kind of then it just really cottoned on that, hey, this Olympics is a pretty big deal. That uh, kind of sits you as a, as a six-year-old. It's, it's interesting to look back at that and obviously see Brisbane just getting the Olympics, a little bit different circumstances, of course, still yeah, celebration sure. there, but it's not the same as it was when Sydney no. got it. But, I mean, it's it's a unique thing to experience in your home country, isn't it, to, to witness the celebration that getting an Olympics has. Yeah, I, I think uh, especially back then the competition was so rife and um, – yeah, we were just so proud. And I say to my kids, because the announcement was made by Juan Antonio Samaranch, um, mm. Spanish. So so I, I showed my kids and they laughed the way he said Sydney because he says it the way they say Sydney and yeah. <laughs> with the, the yeah. Spanish accent. And so everybody remembers that, that the word and the winner is Sydney. And so my kids laughed at that saying, wow. And so because I when Brisbane did get named as the, the host um, in uh 20, gosh, I've gone blank in 2022. 32, sorry, 22, 32. Um, I was counting my years. Uh, I was like, oh, it's a bit of a, it's amazing because I think Brisbane will do an amazing job, that area there, and they've got a lot of infrastructure. It'll be a really great Olympics. But it's sort of really sad that they didn't get that, uh, I don't know, atmosphere that, that we had for Sydney, the, the proper announcement. Um, so this, it's, it's a very different atmosphere to that they didn't get to have that announcement. But in saying that, I think, you know, it's the way the Olympics are sort of going at the moment. There's some issues there. So it's yeah. just, it's just, I think the good thing for the Olympic Games and the IOC is that they've got someone like Australia that they can rely on to put together an amazing Games. And, and the Commonwealth Games were up there a few years ago on the Gold Coast. Yeah. And it's just a perfect environment up there. You can do pretty much any sport up there. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. My kids would talk, do you think I can go, Mum? My kids are saying, do you think I could make it? And so, you know, that it sort of uh, inspired them a little bit, you know, whether they go as a spectators or, or as an athlete. I don't know. We don't care. You it should know. be a really, truly experience. Yeah, for sure. Well, just, just on the Commonwealth Games, I wanted to actually just touch on the Commonwealth Games before we get to your Olympic experiences. I mean, you, you went on to compete in four Commonwealth Games, three of them, gold medalist at obviously a flag bearer too at the the melbourne commonwealth games a special moment but do you remember that the very first one in in victoria 94 you and i were just talking a little bit off air i i obviously just recently was living in victoria you know great city and i was doing some some stories over there when i was living there about kind of doing a retrospective of the games and it's still a, a thing they hold very close to their heart that they they hosted those commonwealth games but did, was that like was that your first major international competition too and like do you remember kind of everything around that yeah look um Victoria was my first major, uh, yeah, my major uh, senior team pretty much, uh, especially because being a multi-sport uh, competition, it wasn't just athletics, it wasn't just a race walking competition. And it was, it, it just blew me away. The village, the opening ceremony, 
um, the, just things like the dining hall. I actually met my husband in the dining hall of the Commonwealth oh, Games in wow. 1994. There you so, go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my kids often ask me that. They're like, what, where, how? <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, we both like food, so we seem to, to hang out. Well, I was going to ask, I was going to ask, you're on the topic now. How did it happen? Was it like love over breadstick or something like that? Or, you know, what, what we happened? We just spent uh, too much time in the, the, the dining hall. It was, it was sort of a social thing there to hang out in the dining hall after dinner and, and just meeting other people and um, one of the physios that that actually I was sitting with Kerry when I met him as well and one of the physios um, knew Kerry and then Matt was sitting there and so we just got introduced and then uh, funny you know like we saw them out and because the cycles were a pretty wild bunch of, of people and then at the closing <laughs> ceremony that I saw this bike streak across the the closing ceremony and it was a bike that Matt had bought it a second hand or a, a shop or no, he bought it a garage sale near the, the village and the, the boys had bought it and sprayed it. And then one of the New Zealand guys had taken the bike off and rid, ridden across the closing <laughs> ceremony of the track and Matt was sprinting <laughs> after him. Wow. So yeah, it was, um, you know, some memories from that as a young, I was, I was 19 back then. So um, it was a really, and I think it was a great stepping stone because the Commonwealth Games for us was really serious but it's not the Olympic Games. So you've got that step up that you've got this multi-sport competition that's um, really important, but it's not the Olympic Games. So you get to experience all the same things. And I think being in such an environment as, as Victoria, it's a, 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 it's a small island there um, and they really got behind it. They mm. the, the locals just loved it. And I think that's what makes games. Some, some of these big cities, they people are sort of they like the, the, the games, whether it be Commonwealth or Olympics, but they don't fully support it. And I think some of these smaller areas really just um, get right behind it and enjoy the fact that that their their city is the centrepiece of, yeah. of the, the games. You get to experience some very unique Commonwealth games. I mean, Kuala Lumpur, the only, uh, well, at that time, the, the first Asian uh, kind of yeah. freaking hot city. I've been to Kuala Lumpur. I could, oh, can't humid. imagine what that's like walking there. <laughs> just just and, and yeah, we, I remember we did lots of heat acclimatization, acclimatization before 98 because it was just so humid there. And, and saying that, like, you know, that was truly amazing as well. I remember being in, in like, uh, Kuala Lumpur is a big city mm. and I remember the day after my race because it was the first time I'd ever beaten Kerry Saxby at that race as well. It was like, you know, I went into it um, and I'd, I'd had a new coach that year at the AIS and I couldn't believe I was winning. I passed her and I'm thinking, I'm going to win this. Like, wow, I'm going to beat my idol. I was like in shock. And, and so, um, you know, it was, I remember the next day going to some shops and these people were, con- the, the workers in the shops, the locals were congratulating me and showing me the newspaper and, and saying, well, you know, we met you and things like that. So it was, it was you know, just, I think the Commonwealth Games um, holds a really uh, uh, close uh, thing for me emotionally and, and as a place that, that, I, I uh, first made my, I suppose, the, my, my jump to, to winning a medal at a major games, but also it was my first games uh, back in 94. So emotionally it, it, it holds a, a really good place in my heart and um, I really enjoyed, you know, the Commonwealth Games. And it's hard because here I had to go to some, my kids' school on Olympic Day and I was explaining to them I've got a video and it's me carrying the flag at the Commonwealth Games and me winning the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and obviously the Olympics. And so trying to explain the Commonwealth Games what it is mm. and, and they sort of don't understand trying to explain that well, we're sort of part of the Commonwealth and the Queen is our Queen, but we're different countries. And, 
And so, yeah, for us, it's, it's really big. Um, and uh, it just explained to my kids, they sort of, you know, they've grown up in Spain. So it's a very different thing for them to, to understand. What is that experience like walking into the MCG, 100,000 people carrying your flag uh, at a major sporting event? I mean, can you even put that into words? No, to be honest. And do you know, I, I've, I'd never been to the MCG before. So wow. the, the first time I went was, I think, just before the opening ceremony, we just had to go and practice. I was with Adam Pine. He was saying the athletes vow. And um, so we went and just practiced a little, a, a little sort of rehearsal. And so, you know, it's the, the holy grail of sport in Australia. And, and I'm saying that as a, as a Sydney sider and a New, New South Welsh woman. And, you know, we, we, we can't stand the Victorians <laughs> south of the border there. But you, they did an amazing job. They love their sport. It, it is the, the centre of sport in Australia. And I have to say that, unfortunately, for, for us in New South Wales, you know, we have to admit that. And the Commonwealth Games down there, to, to walk in with carrying the Australian flag, all these 100,000 crazy fans just cheering for us. Uh, it's, and at the time I didn't realise it. I'm thinking, wow, this is the MCG of all things, you know, wow. And and I'm carrying the flag. And, and I look back now, it's, you know, 15 years later and just think, wow, what an experience. How proud yeah. am I about that, you know. And, and my sister, we weren't planning on going to the opening ceremony because during the Olympics we, we I didn't go to the opening ceremony in Athens because it was we, the athletics is usually on the last part of the the program and the, 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 the Olympic Games goes for two weeks. And so I don't even think in, in Manchester at the Commonwealth Games I did I went to the opening either. I can't remember because I was just training and usually athletics is the back half. So you don't have, want to go into the village too early because you can get really tired. It's a really exciting, frenetic sort of place and you can actually get quite tired of it. And, and by the time you race, you don't want to be tired. So a lot of the, I went to the Sydney games because obviously it was in Sydney to the opening ceremony in Atlanta as well. But the later parts of my career, I didn't go to the opening ceremonies for, for the, the major events. And so I didn't plan on going to the opening ceremony. I was just going to stay in Sydney. And then when I had to go down for the announcement, I'm thinking, oh, wow, they asked me to go for the announcement. Maybe I'll, I've got a role here somewhere. I don't know. And then when I got named, and my sister was in the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne as well. She was racing the, the walk and um, she wasn't going either. So we had to try and get the, we had to get the, the Commonwealth Games Association to organise a flight for both of us to make <laughs> wow. sure we got to the, the opening ceremony. Pretty good you were there then for it. That would have been a bit yeah. awkward. If you'd have been like, nah, nah, don't need to go. Well, Jane, we really want you to be. I know. Just, just maybe you should be there. I actually just, I read a very fascinating stat here. In all but one of the 18 Commonwealth Games, the Australian flag bearer has always gone on to win a gold medal. That's a fascinating Ooh. stat. There you go. Gosh, I'm um, glad I didn't know that beforehand. Yeah, I a bit of pressure. <laughs> exactly. Gosh, my, my, my wow. disqualifications and everything, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, wow. that's because um, I think with the Olympics, it's kind of the opposite. I think from memory, was <laughs> Kathy the Oh, she wasn't flag bearer, of course. She was no, torched, no, she, but, um, torched the, the, she lit the flame, yeah. Yeah, there was a stat I read recently about the, the Olympic one for Australia that it wasn't that successful. Uh, I mean, Kate obviously got a, a gold in, in Tokyo and, and Paddy got yeah. a bronze. But, yeah, I don't know. It was, but that's a fascinating stat. There you go. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to know that beforehand, all the pressure no, on gosh, that one. No, gosh, no. <laughs> I don't going, want it. I don't want it. <laughs> going through that. 
I, I always loved when we had our guests on the show to kind of just hear about those those Olympic experiences, kind of, you know, outside of the competing, just kind of you're talking about things like the village, the opening ceremony, just that sort of stuff. Do you remember in Atlanta kind of just those moments? Did you sort of soak it up, kind of just realise that you're mm. an Olympian at this point and kind of just take it all in at sort of your first oh, game? absolutely. I was an Olympic tourist, I tell you. I loved it. It was, you know, we stayed at the, the university there in Atlanta. Um, I, think, I don't know whether it was Georgia Tech. I can't remember. But it was a huge campus. It was enormous. You had to get a bus to go around. There was like five McDonald's on site as well as the village, uh, the, 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 the dining, main dining hall, the village main dining hall. And so, you know, it was just, it really blew me away. And uh, the, the accommodation per se wasn't that great. We're in dorms. It was pretty old fashioned. But just to be part of it all and, um, you know, there's so many things. I remember sitting in the dining hall and all of a sudden there's this rush of people and it's crazy. And I was like, what's going on here? And it was Muhammad Ali in the dining hall. Wow. And all these people were just like, and and it's sort of, you know, you think you're in this, this village and there's all these elite athletes, these famous athletes. And I actually feel sorry for the more famous athletes because a lot of the time, a lot of the other athletes are asking for autographs while they're trying to eat their dinner or can I have a quick photo with you and, and stuff like that. And I actually understand why some athletes don't want to go to the village and, and be part of it because they just want to focus on their event, especially being high-profile Olympians. So, you know, we I remember Atlanta was just uh, – we went and watched the women's hockey gold medal. That was after I finished. And then we we were so pumped up after that because Laurie Lawrence was a uh, part of the team and uh, uh, he's an, ama- an amazing coach, but it was also an amazing motivator. And um, he was there at the, the, the hockey and he said, right, we're all getting on a bus. None of us have got tickets, but we're going to go to the, the Australian uh, men's basketball teams playing the, the dream team. Mm. We're all going. And, and athletes can get into sports, but you, all, you need special athlete tickets as well as your pass, you need a ticket. And in the end, we got on this bus and we just stormed the security. <laughs> we just ran. <laughs> Laurie Lawrence leading the way. He ran through. Wow. Like you couldn't do it now. It'd be, you know, they'd have guns on you. And even though we were athletes and we're all in Australian yeah. uniform. So we went to the, the basketball straight away. And, and I think I've got a photo of the the um the scoreboard and we were leading it in the first quarter, I think. And so, you know, we were cheering and, and you know, the underdogs that playing their dream team. And, um, you know, those experiences really, really stick with you. And, and then there's the other experiences. I was sitting in the, uh, so there was a smaller dining hall right across from our accommodation and uh, the Australian accommodation. And I remember sitting there with, um, with Shane Kelly and um, I didn't really know him, but he'd sat down and I think I was with Kerry at the time as well and some cyclists knew Kerry. So we we're all just talking and we we're talking about the events and they said, oh, when are you competing? We said two days. And he said, oh, I wish, 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 uh, I wish I could have my event again. And I knew why. And he yeah. said, oh, because I, you know, I fucked it up. The famous, <laughs> and I was just the like, famous foot slip, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I just sat there and looked at this and I just thought, you poor bastard, you know, that would just be horrific coming in as, you know, the red hot favourite. And we were only talking about that the other day with my kids because my son's, my eldest son's getting into a bit of cycling and um, we, we were telling him about it, you know. And, and that's all the... That's the, the highs and the lows and the drama and the excitement of the Olympic Games. And I think that's what makes it so amazing that these people come in as these red hot favourites or these unknowns and, and they come in and, and win and they come from nowhere. And There's always those moments though. There's always sort of those ones where, and it's also there's, 
obviously, as as you would know very well, Jane, there's always that, that one sort of like heartbreaking moment that people will remember. And I, I remember from Atlanta, it was Shane Kelly. Like I remember just yeah. everything around that. And then say, I remember, um, I mean, slightly different, but I remember in Athens, was it um, in the rowing with the lay down Sally fiasco yes. and kind of all that kind of stuff that That's happened right. there. And that becomes a bigger news story than some of Like I guarantee you, if people think of Athens, more people probably remember that than half of our gold medalists from Athens. Like, it's Absolutely. Just, it's, Absolutely. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's but that's the, the drama of the Olympic Games, and and I remember Athens as well was um, Paula Radcliffe, the marathon runner. She was the hot mm. favorite for the marathon, and she she had a, a, a shocker. And you know, it's just that's what it's all about. And mm. and and but it's it's hard to, to be an athlete because it comes around once every four years. It's not every year. It's once every four years, and to have it to come around and be at the the top of your game on that particular day or during that particular week every four years is and so for people to to win one gold medal or one medal is amazing but for people to do it throughout uh two or three olympics yeah it just blows me away because uh it's so difficult it's really you, you can't explain to people and 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 to not even get you know there's people out there with tons of medals and they sort of people don't even know who they are and i think these people should be almost gods to to dedicate so much of their time and to be so successful over yeah. a longer period of time it's not easy uh, you know to physically and mentally prepare yourself for that do you remember we had Kerry Podhast on recently and we I think she was our first Atlanta athlete we'd had and I spoke to her a little bit about this but just getting your thoughts on it Jane I believe about 2 days before your event was was the bombing i mean do do you remember yeah. sort of Everything around was there confusion, not knowing whether or not your event's going to go ahead. I mean, kind of what was that period like after the bombing? No, I don't think there was confusion. Uh, I, I don't think I ever doubted that the event was going to go ahead. I think it was just sh- shocked that it would happen. Um, mm. Everyone was just in shock. We woke up that next morning, yeah, and because there was a number of Australians at the, the Centennial Park where it happened. Um, it, was, it was a big area. It was amazing. Um, and it was quite close to, to the Olympic Village. It wasn't that far from the village. Um, no, it was just, I suppose, when you, you look back and you look back at, at the Olympics and the, the sadness of Munich as well, um, there's things that happen. And security, that was probably one of the biggest things. Um, my first Olympics was the security, just the shock of the security. And um, can, you can get into certain places you can't and, and it's, it's got more difficult and more difficult as, as time's gone on, um, the security's increased. But uh, I think that for me, uh, at America being my first games and in Atlanta, the security was always high and it was increased after the bombing. Um, and so you just had to be careful. And I think, um, but I never felt nervous that they weren't going to hold my event. Um, uh, yeah, not really. I think that I was in, you know, the Olympic bubble. I was just like, you know, wow. Sort of your, your head's in the zone, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you go on to finish 26 in Atlanta. Did you go into that with a with a goal? Like was it a time goal, a position goal, no. or was it just first Olympics, just do do what you can? Oh, that was pretty disappointing. I was really nervous beforehand. I was yeah, I, I was scared. I just was, I was scared that I was going to come last. And I trained really hard, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I was sort of, yeah, I, I, there was no time because it was going to be a hot race. It was hot. Um, so there was no goal for a time. I, I would have really liked top 16 at my first Olympics. And to, to, to get 26 is pretty average. And my race wasn't great, um, but it is what it is. And you just sort of move on. And I, I never 
to be honest, even then I never saw myself as a person, as an athlete that would ever medal at Olympic Games. I thought I would just be, you know, if one day I could get a top 10, that would be great. But top 16 in Atlanta was the aim and I didn't achieve that. So that was disappointing. But in saying that, it, it sort of spurred me on to, to be better. So, well, I was going to ask, does it spur you on? You've had that experience under your belt now, so I guess you can go into the next cycle, aiming towards the next Olympics, a home Olympics, and kind of pushing towards that. Do you, do you remember then going into Sydney with that notion of thinking you might not be an athlete who can medal, but did anything change in that period then when you got to Sydney and kind of maybe the buzz of Sydney and everything around it kind of that kind of spurred you on to, hey, this is what I'm going to aim to achieve for? Yeah, definitely. There were big changes in in my life as an athlete between 96 and, and 2000. Um, I moved to the Institute full-time after the Olympics in 96. And we, at the end of 97, we got a new coach, uh, a European coach, a German coach that really um, instilled uh, – I had a good work ethic, but also instilled the belief that, you know, this is what we do and he had success um, as an athlete and he had a good training program and so going into that uh, 98, I'd beaten Kerry, I beat Kerry Sachs at the Commonwealth Games. And, you know, I was always hoping just to get a medal there. I was hoping for a bronze at Commonwealth Games in 98 in Kuala Lumpur because it was a, a Malaysian girl that was really good. And I thought if I could just grab this bronze. So to pass Kerry in the last sort of couple of kilometres of the race, it just blew me away. So I'm thinking, wow, is this a fluke or, or you know, who knows? I've got the medal, so it doesn't matter. But then the next year, I, I raced really well and um, I got seventh at the world championship. So I'm thinking, wow, you know, Sydney's, it could be that maybe I get a medal or definitely a top eight is, is, is a possibility. So, um, and I'd stepped up my training a lot and became more, even more dedicated, um, more committed to, to diet and extra training things. So, you know, leading into Sydney, I was actually injured. I'd, I'd broken the Australian record in May in Europe. And Kerry and I were sort of vying uh, and she'd broken the record, then I broke it again. And um, I broke the Australian record, as I said, and I was really keen to, okay, I've got five, four or five months to the Olympic Games and I'm really, this is my games, this is it. And I got injured. So I couldn't actually race walk from sort of June, I think May, June until August. And luckily the Olympic Games were later because they're in the Southern Hemisphere, they're in September. So, um, which really helped me because I had to get over this injury. It was my first injury and I really didn't know what to do. The physios, and I was so fortunate that I was in Canberra because I had everything at my doorstep at the AIS, the physios, and, and I was still working. I was working at the Commonwealth Bank at the time, um, sort of five hours a day. But in the end, I had to stop work because I had to, to, to have so much treatment to try and get over my injury um, that I could, didn't have time to train. And so I didn't have time to work, sorry. So um, I had to work out because I couldn't race walk. My knee was hurting and I, it was a really difficult time because being a young person, not understanding injuries that you need to rest, but knowing I had this countdown of so many weeks to the Olympic Games in my hometown and this is the only time I'm going to ever compete at, at a Sydney Olympics. And so it was a lot of pressure. And, and being at the AIS, everyone was so excited for the Olympic Games and to be honest, that period of time, I couldn't race walk. I was fortunate that I have a swimming background. So I just jumped in the pool and just swam morning and wow. night and did, I simulated what I would do race walking, but in the swimming pool. And it was, it was horrible. Like it was, I just, I, I just had to do it. I knew that I had to do it and I was counting down and it wasn't an exciting, an excitement to count down. It was like this nightmare is going to be over. And, and I remember 
being in the physio rooms um, one particular day and it was six weeks before the day and the time of that I would finish the race. And I said, in six weeks, this nightmare is going to be over. I just, you know, I can't wait till it's over. And, and, and everyone else was so excited and I was just so sick of the Olympics by then. I was like, I can't stand it. But what happened was from all the swimming that I did, I actually came when I could race walk was about seven weeks before the Olympic Games, I could race walk and do d- d- proper sessions. I was in really good shape. And I came out with these times and, and my, my coach and the guys that I trained with went to Mexico to do altitude training and I couldn't go because I couldn't race walk. So I stayed in winter in, in Canberra and, and, you know, I hadn't spent a lot of time in, in Canberra in the winter and it was freezing and horrible and trying to train and keep myself motivated. So it was a really difficult time physically, but also mentally. And to, to come out of that thinking, wow, I've got pretty good shape. And I really, um, uh, the last six weeks of my preparation, I was doing these incredibly fast times and my coach came back from Mexico and he couldn't believe what great shape I was in. So going into to Sydney, I, I had a bit of pressure on myself that I wanted to go well, but I, it had sort of been alleviated because I, I was injured. And I remember a, a journalist ringing me and asking me how I was going. And I said, oh, look, I'm injured. And he sort of then just discounted me. He said, oh, that's a shame. I had you down for a, a medal maybe. And I went, oh, yeah. And so he really discounted me. And then I thought, stuff you. I'm going to show you, you know. <laughs> Bloody <laughs> it was journalist. Still a fair bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you. Scum. So, um, yeah, heartless, heartless. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it was there was pressure beforehand. But then actually leading up the, the really close to the Olympic Games, I didn't feel much pressure at all because I had been injured and no one had these expectations on me. I had them on myself and and Matt, who was my fiancé at the time, um, we got married after the Olympics. He had a lot of expectations. He thought I could medal. Um, I sort of wasn't thinking medal. I was thinking maybe top eight. And um, so, yeah, so to, to get so close was, was such an, uh, uh, I was really proud of myself. Well, what I was going to say with that is, I mean, I love hearing the journey and the emotion and everything because I, I read an interview, you talking about Sydney and you had said that everyone always remembers what happened. They remember me getting disqualified. They don't remember, they don't know the journey because we're only fixated on the Olympics every four years. One, one of my favourite athletes to have read upon and read his autobiography and his story is Stephen Bradbury, a man who is yes. known for one moment, for everyone yes. falling over and winning a gold medal. Yes. Now, if you read his journey to how he got to that, it's exactly. incredible. It's yes. amazing. and But people don't yes. realise that. They think about everyone who fell over and he won a gold medal. And so for you, it's they think about the you got disqualified just before the stadium and the, the yeah. quote you said, everything along those lines. And that's where I think it's just fascinating to kind of hear you sort of tell that story here now and kind of see that because <laughs> it is that case, isn't it? And particularly with a sport of race walking, which maybe got put on the map a little bit more after your Absolutely. situation in Sydney, that it weirdly helped, but you've still had this massive journey to get to the one moment that has really defined your career. Yeah, yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, and we talk about that moment. And and I, I talked to my kids about Bradbury as well. I showed them that during the Olympics. And, and we talk about it because we, we were glued to the TV during the, the, the Tokyo Olympics. And I said, but guys, they could they were blown away by the, the, the race. I said, watch this, watch what's going to happen. And because they don't really see ice skating very often and, and the races. And, and they're like, my goodness, he won. I'm like, yeah. I said, but you had to be in that final. If he wasn't good enough to be in that final, he was there with the best in the world. He, yeah. he wouldn't have won. So people, and I, I think people that don't understand sport at all don't get that. Um, and, and just to, to, there is a journey and every athlete has one. And I think that they need to focus more on those stories because 
people really don't understand what it's like to be an athlete and they see these people performing. And, and as I said before, these people winning medals at three consecutive Olympic Games and, and you think, wow, you know, that's great. But you really, it's not just great. It's incredible. It's amazing. It blows my mind that people can do that because it's so difficult to not only physically be at your best during those times, but mentally keep yourself motivated. Those days where you're tired, where you can't be bothered, that no one there, no one there watches you when you're, you're out training by yourself. Two weeks before Athens, I was training in the orange fields here near, near where we live. And I had a terrible session. I was with my sister and it was woeful and I was crying. I threw my heart rate monitor into the orange trees and, and Natalie had a bad session as well. And we're just going, what are we doing this for? You know, this is crazy. And, you know, they're the times where you need your support ne network around you. And Matt, my husband then, he, he, he was my coach as well. And, and he was fabulous. He was actually competing at the games in the men's road race. And, and we rang both, he was coaching both Nat and I, and we rang him. We were all down and out. He's like, you've got to switch off. Just have a night of relaxing. Don't worry about it. You know? And so to do that, um, Sometimes you need that team around you. A lot of the time you need that team around you to switch off your focus and just relax and get away from it. Other times you need them to switch on the focus. So you've got to know when to be up and when to be down. And, and, and sure, I, I, sat, I, I got the glory of my event, of my medals and things like that, and success, but I had a lot of people around me, not only my family, but, but my coach, coaches and, and friends that would always be there whether I won or lost. And, and they were there, you know, I would ring Matt, he was in Europe racing and I'd ring him at, at what would be three o'clock in the morning, um, my time. And he'd be there supporting me saying, you know, keeping me focused, keeping me positive. Um, it's, it's a huge journey and it's a huge undertaking. And, and I, I just, you know, get, I, I, it blows my mind that, that, that the, the, the success of, of, of athletes is not valued as much as, as it should be because it's such a difficult task. And, and then sport teaches you this amazing thing of persistence and to overcome you know setbacks and and that's a life lifelong goal two questions i just want to touch on sydney because look you've been asked them all there's nothing <laughs> i can ask you today that's going to be different but the, the two quick ones i'll ask on it did it surprise you the attention it got and the amount of coverage that it achieved because i mentioned before about how certain events are remembered more than some of our gold medalists, your moment is remembered more than some of I guarantee you, again, if you quizzed on who were Australia's 16 gold medals in Sydney, they're probably not going to be able to name half of them, but they'll remember your moment. I mean, did it surprise you, the amount of attention it got? It did. It did because, um, you know, race walking is not the most high profile event on the athletics or Olympic uh, Olympic program. So it certainly did. Um, and, and, and I always say that, you know, I was, if I'd have won, I would have been one of 17 gold medalists at the games yeah. and no one will probably remember me, but I wouldn't, everybody remembers that poor girl that got disqualified, which was just <laughs> about to win the gold medal. So, you know, there, there's a story there. Um, and I think, well, leading up to the games as well, or leading up to my race in the men's 20 kilometer walk, um, there was controversy there as well. So uh, coming down to the finish line, a Mexican, uh, I think it was Bernardo Segura passed Robert Korshinovsky, who was like a legend in our sport. He'd won in, uh, he'd won the 50 kilometers in Athens. And so this was in the 20 kilometers. And the last, I don't know, 400 meters or something, uh, Segura passed Korshinovsky. But as he passed him, it may have been the last hundred, I can't even remember. He, he sprinted to the line. He got his third red card. So he was actually disqualified whilst he was on the telephone 
to the president of Mexico. They have a huge wow. tradition in race walking. So you can imagine that they don't win many gold medals, but they have won mm. them in, in race walking and medals in race walking. So he's on the phone to the president of Mexico and the chief judge has come up after the race and said, you've been disqualified. You've got your third car, third red card late. And so the, 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 the shit hit the fan, basically. And the president of Mexico is ringing Juan Antonio Samaranch <laughs> and asking what the hell we're protesting. You know, there was, you know, almost riots in Mexico. Um, so that was leading in. My race was after that. So coming down, thinking I'm going to win the gold medal and then knowing like, when I get disqualified that everybody's going to be asking. And, and there's people that, that don't. They don't uh, hold a lot of credibility for race walking. And it, it is a very subjective event. I understand that completely. Um, and so it put a lot of focus on the event. Um, and it, even post-Sydney, the judging changed. They had to make changes. Um, and, and even to, to this day, we still need to make more changes to, to reduce the subjectivity of the event, uh, bring in technology that they're working on as well. So, yeah, it, it surprised me. But you know what? As, as someone, one of the, the dads in, in the, the, co- the group that I used to train in said, you know, I couldn't believe it. I went down the pub that night and everyone was talking about race walking. And, <laughs> and he said, no one ever talks about race walking at the pub. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it wasn't for the right reasons, but at least it opened people's eyes up to it. And they saw race walking, even if it was in a bad light, at least they were talking about it. And I suppose, as people say, not all publicity, not all bad publicity is bad. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Did did John Howard, by the way, happen to ring up Juan Antonio and and protest with their their riots (laughs) on the street in Sydney that were never brought? I feel like, you know, if Mexico is doing it, then Australia should be doing it too. Exactly. No, I think we, we calmed them down. I think a lot of people wanted to kill that poor guy that held the red paddle. But at the end of the day, what they didn't realise was that guy that held out the red paddle to me, he was just the messenger. So lots of people were saying, how dare he? But part of the judging process is he's just the messenger to tell. Three other judges on the course actually gave me red cards. So his job at the end of the day is just to remove me from the race. It wasn't actually to, to, to give me a, a red card to disqualify me. So, um, you know, it, it hopefully enhanced people's understanding a little bit more of the event. Um, it's not that difficult to understand, but people, um, I suppose it helped that, that I could explain and had the opportunity to explain. The other question I want to ask of that, is it frustrating that that is the one thing that people seem to remember from your career, that you, you won multiple <laughs> Commonwealth Games gold medals, you know, an Olympic medal, a four-time Olympian, all these amazing achievements you've achieved, but that's the one thing that people know you for? Oh, I suppose not frustrating. It's just part of who I am. Um, it was, and as frustrating, as, not frustrating, but as, as shocking and, and heartbreaking as the experience was, as I said, it's all, it's the Olympics, it's sport. And at the end of the day, you've got to put it all into perspective. At the time, I suppose, coming into the Olympics in my hometown, being injured and everything, um, I, 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 I don't know, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's sport at the end of the day. We're not saving lives. We're not, you know, it's not a war. I didn't die. It's something that's a privilege to compete at as well. It's a privilege to be able to, to, to train and to wear the green and gold and, and it's an honour. And so, you know, um, I, I think that it was all part of that, that Olympic experience. And I don't get upset. Um, I love hearing people's stories of where they were and what they wanted to do. And, you know, they threw the remote at the TV and, <laughs> and I can't believe it. And, and even now I, I coach kids at just the local athletics club here in Spain. And I don't tell people what I, who I am or what I do. They, they just think that I'm a foreigner and that I'm helping out coaching, blah, blah, blah. 
and I've got a tattoo, an Olympic tattoo. And so sometimes they see that. And I remember we, were, we had a competition and I was helping at the finish line, taking the places and the parents were helping. And they said, oh, oh Jane, did, did you go to the Olympics? I said, oh, yeah, I, I went to, to, to the Olympics. And I said, oh, which ones? And so I told them which ones. They're like, you went to four Olympics? Like, yeah, 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 I went to four Olympics. And so um, then they Googled me and then they saw the video. <laughs> and five minutes later, it comes up to me because, oh, my God, how heartbreaking. He goes, and then 10 minutes later, he's saying to me, I can't believe it. I'm still in shock. Oh, what, what did you do? You must have been devastated, he's saying to me, you know. And so for people to have that much emotion for something that I was part of, it, it's 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 not the happiest of times, but it's an emotion that brings out sport and that passion for sport. And, and at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You watch people play, what you watch people, the, the fans of football become so emotionally invested in games and in sport. And, and that was no different. And, and I think uh, uh, sport can, can really bring people together in that way. And, and it has such a, a powerful, uh, uh, it's such an, a powerful experience as, as a spectator. Well, you mentioned about how people say to you, where were they when that happened in Sydney? To me, it was more about Athens because I, I remember going into Athens and I remember paying attention to see if a, you were competing and sort of, you know, when your event was on. And <laughs> I, I I remember you winning the bronze. I remember the emotion. And, like, I talk a lot about in this show that some of my favourite Olympic moments are, you know, yeah, the gold medals are great, the medals are great, but it's, it's when people get so emotionally excited over a bronze medal, finishing fifth, you know, things like that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. just witnessing you get that medal uh, is just one of my, my standout Olympic moments of oh, all time. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Again, can you put that into a, like everything that had happened in that four-year period after all the attention? You've got an Olympic medal around your neck. You are always going to be an Olympic medalist. I mean, how how was that moment? Yeah, look, I yeah, it, it blows me away that I did it. To be honest, and I, I watched the video and I watched it recently as well because my kids were watching it during the Olympics and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's something that they can never take away from me and to, to be part of that. And I'm so proud of myself that I kept fighting to do it because after Sydney, I had a couple of more rough years. I was disqualified again. The next year at the World Championships, I was disqualified before the 10-kilometre mark. So I didn't mm. even make it to halfway. And that was when I really thought, do I really want to put myself through this anymore? This is ridiculous. And I made the decision that I didn't want to have any regrets. I didn't want to be one of these people that would have, should have, could have, but never did. And so I thought, well, I'm going to give myself every opportunity to, to, to get there. And if I get disqualified again, at least when I'm old and 45 and talking about the Olympics, I can say at least I gave it my best shot. So um, I think at the end of the day, that's all I wanted to do. And if, if I won a medal, I won a medal. If I didn't, I didn't. Um, and so going into Athens like that, and, and I had a good year. Um, I, I finished fourth at uh, the World uh, Cup of race walking about four or five months beforehand. So I, was, I knew I was really strong. Um, and uh, I trained really hard for it. Every session was just focusing on that Olympic Games. Come on, you're tired. Just keep pushing, keep pushing, you know. And, and it wasn't easy. There was a lot, and I was doing a lot of my training by myself here in Europe. So, um, you know, and, and even to, we went to a training camp in Italy my sister and I, we were trained with a lot of the Italians. We went up to the, to the mountains and to train at altitude and, um, you know, they had their physios, the masseurs, they had their coaches there. They were whinging about being away from home for three weeks and we'd been away for like three or four months. And we were, you know, my sister was paying to, to train to train there, like paying out of her own pocket and things like that. So, you know, we, we, we I think Australians, we're unique and um, we have this fighting spirit. We don't get it easy. And I, I didn't realise it at the time maybe, but there were some days when we were training where, 
I'm like, gosh, these these guys are pretty soft in some ways. You know, I, I ended up training with the guy that that won the Olympic in the, the Olympic gold medal in the 20 kilometer walk at, at, in Athens, and and he went really well. But I really was proud of uh, my sister and I because we were there training by ourselves and we were pushing every day, and we didn't have this whole support network that was right on site with us all the time. So it made us tougher, um, and and made that every day an accomplishment for us. Does it also? I can imagine the the, the pressure, like uh, the media, you're like Jane, you're back, like you're, you're gonna, you know, gonna relive what's happening in Sydney all over <laughs> again. Like, do you just have to block that out because, like, okay, that was four yeah. years ago, move on. This is a new event. Yeah, look, I, there's so many things happening at the Olympic Games that, um, yeah, there wasn't. There was a bit of pressure on me from the media. It wasn't too bad because uh, I didn't win any medals leading up. So, 2003 World Championships. I finished 11th. So I still wasn't on the radar as much. Um, And, you know, I I was nervous, but the funny thing was I remember warming up and um, Matt, uh, as I said, was there for, my husband was there for uh, the cycling. So he had the accreditation to get into cycling, but he didn't have the accreditation for athletics. It was all in the two hard box for, for the Olympic committee to work out that he was a coach for athletics, but he was an athlete for cycling and to make sure he had accreditation. So the morning of the race, he just walked into the track with his accreditation, but they weren't checking the little logos, thankfully. Mm. So he was able to get into the track. And I would, he relaxed me really well. I had my sister there. So that was really good. We were both competing. And I remember going to the loo. Before, you've got to go into a call room before the race. And um, uh, you've got to spend, I think it's half an hour before the race, you've got to be in this area. And so I thought, I'll go to the loo. I went to this porcelain loo that was on the track. And, you know, you've got to flush them with the blue, the handle. And I flushed this toilet. And all this blue stuff just spurted out all over my legs. And, oh, no. and I'm just thinking, oh, my God, this is disgusting. I'm hoping it's clean water. I don't even know, but it was blue. I don't. I was just like, like oh. And I could have lost my shit there and, and had a bit of a meltdown. But I, actually I was surprised myself. I went, oh, oh, well, there we go. <laughs> move on. Let's go wash my hands and let's yep. move on. We've got the race in half an hour. So I sort of surprised myself thinking, wow. That would sort of probably other times may have spiralled me into a bit of a meltdown and a bit of a freak out, but it didn't, you know. Um, and so I sort of felt a little bit of pressure, but not too much. And and even during the race, I was always in the lead pack and coming out of the stadium, there's a, a DQ board there. It's got your disqualification board with your numbers with, on it if you've got red cards. The first number up there was 1190. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, I think that's me. I looked at it and went, no. And then I looked at it and I'm going, no, that's not me. I'm 1189. And I realized it was my sister that had the red ah, card. Wow. And so she, and then she had two red cards before, I think about eight kilometers. So the only, I was sort of thinking, oh, I feel bad for her, but I'm glad it's not me. And she was thinking, well, this is terrible, but at least it's not Jane. <laughs> you know? so, um, we're both thinking similar, similar things. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that was also amazing too about obviously what happened in Athens, I mean, Nathan got the bronze, what, a couple of days beforehand, yeah. breaking the drought. You get the bronze then a couple of days later. Basically, Australia then medals in the race walking at every Olympics until Tokyo essentially kind yes. of set out this, uh, you know, bit of a bit of a rush going on there for it. I mean, do you think it comes down to people paid more attention to it so more people wanted to get into race walking because of Sydney? I mean, I'm not trying to say you can take credit for this, but, I mean, it obviously put a bit more of attention on the sport than it might have had beforehand. Yeah, look, I think that it, it showed that we could do it and we certainly had a great training group there in Sydney and Nathan Deeks finished uh, two top eights. Kerry finished, I think, sixth. 
we had a, a great group coming through and we were the younger ones and, and Nick Ahern was retiring and I, he finished top eight too. And so we, we had a great group before us and then there was us coming through, Nathan and I, and then after that was Jared Talent and, and Dane Bird-Smith. They could see that it could be done. Um, and I, I, I'm sure that we had something to do with it in the fact that people could see that it, that it was achievable. Um, but also I think that maybe that the powers that be realised that, that a bit of investment in the event um, went a long way. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, even though we didn't meddle in the event in in. Tokyo, we still had a Jemima Montag who was who was top eight, who's a, an up and coming race walker, who certainly has the potential to to medal at major championships, and certainly got the drive and the form to do that. So, um, you know, and we've, there's a couple of other young ones coming through. So, I think you know, once you get that momentum, it's 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 easier to maintain. If we lose a bit of momentum, um, then it's harder to to come back up. Uh, but always, when you've got role models, it, it's much easier. We wrap up every interview with a series of questions i'm actually going to do something different today jane this interview has given me an idea for a a (laughs) trivia thing which is going to put you on the spot but i like it we'll get to that in just a just a moment but uh before i do just quickly obviously you go into to beijing final olympics uh and then obviously ultimately retirement i always have to ask our medalists on the show what do you do with the medal uh do do you keep it on display is it in the sock drawer kind of like like what 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 is done with the medal uh, well, it used to be my garage because we, we lived in Sydney and we moved to Spain and so I stored it in my garage. But then when I was over here um, a few years ago, they uh, I go to schools, my friend's an English teacher and um, she asks me to go to schools and speak in English to kids about my career. Um, and so I show them the video I have of sort of my career highlights and speak to them. And I never had the medal. They said, oh, where's your medal? So I bought it back with me the last time I came back. So at the moment it's in a drawer somewhere. Oh, it's in the filing cabinet, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Under yeah. M for medal? Or- <laughs> <laughs> I mean- Shoved underneath because people steal that sort of stuff. Like I don't yeah. know why anyone would want to steal it. You're going to have to move it now, people listening. I know. It's all right. I've got yeah. secret hiding places, but then I forget right. where my secret hiding places are. So <laughs> it happens. Golly, so, yeah, golly, I don't. Don't display at all. I, I wanted to get my um the, the laurel wreath uh, that, that I got in Athens. I wanted to get that framed because I, I know a friend that got hers, but I've never done it. It's, it's in a storage box in Sydney right. there in my garage. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> the other question I'd like to know, I mean, sort of what, what have you been up to since since retirement? Obviously, you say you're living in, in Spain now. I mean, kind of yeah. are you still involved in race work, race walking at all? Yeah, I am. I was on uh, the IAAF race walking committee, which is the IAAF is the international, which is now World Athletics, and they've changed their name, uh, which is the international body overseeing athletics. Um, I was on that committee for about 10 years. I'm still involved. I'm coaching, but just at an introduction level to to athletics. I coach little kids at the local club. Um, Yeah, still involved a a, a little bit. I I did become a judge, would you believe, for a few years there. I was an area judge in in Oceania. But because I was moved over here, it was sort of difficult to maintain my, my gradings and, and to judge. So I, I'm not a, an official judge anymore. But, yeah, I uh, I became a judge. I went over to the dark side. <laughs> Interesting. Does it make you appreciate it or hate it more? Um, no, I always appreciated the judges. Um, yeah, I, I, I try and be politically correct here. I don't, yeah. <laughs> we need to introduce technology into our event group okay. much more. We need to use that. I'll say that. <laughs> That's that's a that's a safe answer. I like yes. that, Jane. Now, now, usually we sort of we sort of wrap it up with kind of like a get to know you style questionnaire. But you, you give me an idea. Well, maybe I gave the idea. I don't know. I mentioned obviously that some people probably remember your disqualification from Sydney more so 
than our 16 gold medalists. So let's test your knowledge here. Oh, no, Can don't you do that name no, as many no. of our 16 gold medalists? Now, I'll, I'll give you a hint here. Like, I won't make you name every single member of any of our hockey teams or our relay teams, but even if you can just give me some of the sports, some of the athletes, we'll see how many you can get. I'm going to put you on the spot chain. Oh, no, that's just mean. I'm really dumb <laughs> at these sort of things. I have no memory of yesterday, let alone 21 <laughs> years ago. And, okay, so, 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 there was Thorpey. Yep. Men's re- swimming relay team. They yep. they beat the Americans. Was it four by one? I think they, it was they won by the one. four by one and four by two. So four by I'll two, give you a right? Tick oh, there you off the go. List there. Bonus, yep. bonus. Yep. Um, Kathy, of course. Of course. Yep. Uh, holy crap! Um, where are we? Swimming, swimming, swimming. Who else? There's oh, another Susie. famous. Yes, Susie. Yep. Susie. There's also another famous swimming. If you think about an event where you used to love winning gold Kieran. medals in. No, not Kieran. Kieran didn't win. Um, Kieran got silver. Who got the gold? Yes. Uh, Hackett. Yep. There you Grant go. Hackett. Um, what else is there? Uh, Kerry Pothas and yep. um, in the, the, the beach Cook. volleyball. Natalie Cook. That's right. Beach volleyball. Yep. Oh, goodness me. I am so woeful. Was it women's hockey? Yes, they did. There. I was there. Yes, I was there. Women's hockey. What else did we win? How many are up to? About five, I think. Goodness me, I'm having a Barry Crocker here. Um, <laughs> I've got to go through the sports and work it out. What other sports were there? What other sports? So there's, no, there's, there's uh, I think your husband listening would probably be a bit disappointed that oh, you haven't named. Uh, oh gosh, who won in Sydney? He'll, 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 I'll be in big trouble. Who won in Sydney? No, Stewie won in Athens. Stu won the Madison in Athens. Who won in Sydney? Oh, yes, the Madison. The Madison boys won. It was the Madison, yeah. Brett Atkin oh, and Scott McGrory. Brett, yep. That's right. Yeah, you would answer these way better than me. I can't remember anything. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking at a list to help me here, but uh, I reckon I could probably get at least like 12 of these off the top of my really? head. There's some that I would struggle with the names. But, like, okay, I'll, I'll help you. So sailing, for example, I mean, I would give you bonus Ooh. points if you can name out. No disrespect to our sailors, but the no, men's and women's. But- 470, both got it there. Uh, Tom King, Mark wow. Turnbull, Jenny Armstrong, Belinda Stow. One of my favourite memories from Sydney was Simon Fairweather winning the archery. Oh, gosh, that yes. Was that was amazing. Out of he was nowhere. training at the AIS, yeah. Yeah. He had, yep. a, I think, a um, South Korean coach. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Equestrian, of course, back uh, when yes. we used to dominate yep. the eventing. Andrew Hoy, we've just seen, go on to, oh, what, his eighth Olympics with uh, Philip Dutton, Matthew what Ryan, Stuart Tinney. You mentioned the hockey, yes. Michael Diamond, back-to-back gold in the men's shooting, trap. The shooting, the yep. shooting, Michael Diamond, yes. Shooting. You got all the swimming ones. Uh, I'll give you that. You got the beach volleyball. The only two that uh, you missed outside of those are the water polo girls, of course, famous. That's right. Yes. Dying seconds against that, the US. US that coach was amazing. I think, still yelling. Yep. And yeah, yeah, Lauren yeah. Burns, of course, in the taekwondo, taekwondo the women's forty nine kilos. Right. Well, she was. She did very well as well. Yeah. Well, yeah. we didn't win an Olympic gold, but yeah. See, I told you I'm hopeless. Give me – I don't even remember the Olympics from Tokyo and that was like three weeks ago, wasn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what, I probably would get more of these 21 years later than I would from, what, 17 that we got in, in Tokyo. Like that yeah. – I was, I was what, 13 during Sydney, just absolutely glued to everything. I had books, yeah. I made notebooks and kept stats. So I'm one of those weird people, Jane, that apparently just doesn't grow up from my obsession No, that's – I love it. It's, it. Well, talking about my husband, he can remember races, he can remember so many things. And I'm like, how do you remember that? I don't remember yesterday. Like, I don't even remember my PBs. I don't remember my personal best. I, I don't know. Maybe my, there's something vacant up there in my brain, but I'm really hopeless with memory, you know. As long as you remember your husband and kids' names, you're fine. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that gets I'm you through. Well. 
you know, that helps there. Jane, before we let you go, uh, if people want to stay up to date with what, you, what you're up to, I mean, social media, website, anything you want to plug at yeah. all? Yeah. Oh, look, my life's not that exciting, to be honest. And I'm really pretty, I'm pretty lax on the, the social media. I don't really do anything. Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram, Jay Savile 74, but there's nothing exciting that I do in my life, you know. <laughs> we're, still, we're still in a, like the, most of the world, we're still living through COVID. So, yeah, nothing, uh, you know, I'm just enjoying um, being a mom, I'm studying and, and uh, doing a, a graduate certificate in uh, international sports management. So I'm really enjoying right. that, um, which is a bit of a shock to the system to go back to studying after finishing uni like 25 years ago, which is imagine. really tough. Yeah, yeah. like seriously. Wow. Um, and I'm studying Spanish as well because I need that um, to, to live here. How so is I'm the just, Spanish? How, how is it? Yeah, I, I, can, look, I can hold conversations. I coach kids in Spanish. Here in, in where we live, we've got uh, two languages, Valencian and Spanish. So my kids at school learn both languages. And wow. so a lot of the coaching that we do in athletics is done in Valencian. And sometimes I don't know if it's a Valencian word or a Spanish word. I have to ask them. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I, I'm focusing on just doing one language at a time, but I, I need to improve my Spanish, obviously. But, yeah, I can get by. We've got some great Spanish friends here that, that I mix with a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's good for my brain. It'll prevent me to get from getting Alzheimer's. <laughs> That's good. That's that's the main thing. Jane, it has been an absolute pleasure being able to go over your career and, and learn a lot more of these stories and everything along those lines. And we, we definitely appreciate your time here on Off the Podium and look forward to, uh, I'm just going to say, I said this, what, 13, 12 years ago ahead of the Hobart Olympics. I'm saying this again, coming out of retirement for the Brisbane 2032 <laughs> Games because we've officially got another Olympics in Australia. So there you go. <laughs> I'll be the biggest fan on the side of the road. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. And your knowledge is amazing of so many sports. Well, I, I won't say I've had a lot of help staring at a screen, but uh, we'll just we'll just go with the fact that I'm really smart. So I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Ben, love your work. <laughs> Fascinating chat there with Jane. Definitely appreciate her time. Amazingly, only her second ever podcast. She had done another podcast recently and uh, amazing that she doesn't get asked on more podcasts. I I talked a little bit to her off air about that fact and uh, baffles me. She's got so many great stories to tell, but uh, I'm glad that we could be the second podcast that she's on. But a big thanks to Jane for her time and uh, maybe we need to get some of these Sydney athletes on from Australia to see if there are knowledge stands up of the 16 gold medalists from the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games that Australia had. Uh, Our next chat will be coming your way in a matter of days. As we always say now, we've got so many great interviews coming your way that we obviously don't want to tease and give them away. They are often changing and a bit of a fluid schedule right now, but stay tuned as we continue on multiple episodes a week to keep you entertained in between now and the Beijing Olympics. So you can, of course, stay up to date with everything that we've got going on in the show. Simply search for Off the Podium on our social media platforms. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and of course on all the good podcast platforms. Search off the podium, mash that subscribe button, and stay up to date with every single one of these episodes that we've got. You can go back and listen to our past interviews and stay up to date with all the future ones we've got coming and future episodes in the lead up to those Beijing Olympics getting exciting now, getting closer and closer to the games. Big thanks again to Jane, big thanks to everyone for listening. This is Off the Podium. My name is Ben, and as always, go left. Turning Japanese up, they come turning Japanese up.